journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And uh, this is going to be a trip of a lifetime because we are going on a trip today. We are in the book of Genesis, Parshas Chayesara, chapter 24, verse uh, 10. And today we are going to land, land up discussing the trip that Eliezer, the faithful servant of Abraham, takes um, to Abraham's birthplace. Um, Aram Naharayim, and to, going back to where Abraham came from, to the city of Nahor, and how he goes out now to search for a wife for Yitzchak, Abraham's son. And we're not going to get precisely into the marriage part of it, but have an entire discussion about tripping, about going on trips, and where we find ourselves, and what what actually what. Actually, is it about going on a trip that, that, that is exciting and that is important for us to know when we, we do undertake where we go? As always, I'd love you to join the conversation on 34519. Our telegram is 0618951019. How do you feel when you leave home? Are you nervous? Do you do anything before you leave home? Do you feel out of sorts? Um, I know for myself for a long time, I used to get a knot in the stomach, even though it would be exciting that I would be going overseas. Um, I, I know many times when I've traveled overseas, I felt pretty apprehensive before I've left, um, just because I feel like I'm more in control, I guess, when I'm at home. How do you feel about it? And what do you do, if anything, to make you realize or understand or enjoy your holiday more, if you have that reaction? Or are you carefree? Then another question, are you always at the right place in the right time? Or do you believe there is this concept of being in the wrong place at the wrong time? How do you de- deal with, with adversity? These are all the things that we are going to be discussing as we follow Eliezer um, back to his hometown, back not to his hometown, well, it is his hometown, because we said that Eliezer, according to many opinions, was either the servant or the son of Nimrod, and he is going back to his hometown as well, and he's going out to seek a wife for his master son, Isaac. And so we'll start one or two of the verses just before we go to a break. We're looking in verse 10. Please join me in. The servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master. And he set off. He had all the good things um, of his master in his hand. Vayakam, he got up, Vayelech el Aram Naharayim el Ir Nahor. He gets up and he goes to Aram Naharayim to the city of Nahor. And so we're told of how it is that he travels and uh, we're going to explore this traveling, as I said, a little bit more. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Robertson Adel Kozilski, and we're taking a trip today. We're following Eliezer as he makes his way back to his hometown. 
as we read before the break, he took ten camels and everything that was good of his master's home, and he set out for Aram Naharaim and to the city of Nahor, which is Mesopotamia. Now, we are told that the camels were loaded with a lot of valuables and precious stones. And when it talks about the fact that it was laden with everything that was good, it wasn't only about the the valuables and precious stones, but that, in fact, Eliezer took a deed along in order to show it to Abraham's relatives in the hope that seeing Yitzchak's wealth would motivate them to allow their daughter to go with him to a distance a distant city. So he he really brought along a lot to go and say, don't worry, your daughter might be leaving this place, but she will be living very comfortably. And that everything that Abraham owns, and as we know, we spoke about the fact that um, he was blessed by call with everything. Um, he was financially very, very stable, had everything he needed, that this girl who was going to join Yitzhak as his wife would land up being in a financially stable and um, good place. Now, one of the interesting things about tripping, um, and I'm not sure that if it's, if it's happened to, to, to many people around these days, but it is a concept that we find in the Torah, is that we have a concept called kfitzes haderech. Kfitzes haderech means a shortening of the road. And here is an instance of kfitzes haderech, from Hebron, where Abraham was, to Haran, was in fact a journey of about 17 days. It was a long journey to get to Mesopotamia, and uh, we're told that God actually sent an angel to escort Eliezer, and he had Kfetzisadera, he had a shortening of the road, and boom, he was there in three hours. He left midday, and by Mincha time, by the afternoon time, he found himself already on the outskirts of the city. Now, the city of Nahor is found between two rivers, between the Tigris and Euphrates. That's why it's called Aram Naharaim, which basically means the Aram of the rivers. Um, I, you know, just the other day I was thinking when I was listening to the, the pilot that flew the plane um, to the, the United Arab Emirates, the, the historic flight that took Israeli and American uh, senior personnel um, to Abu Dhabi, and he went and said, it used to take us seven hours or eight hours, and now it took us three hours. And finally, it came to my mind, ah, you had Kfitzes Aderech, and your time was shortened. Let's carry on, though, and let's just see what happens once he arrives at at the outskirts of the city. The Yavrech HaGemalim Michutz La'ir <clears throat> he lets the camels rest on their knees outside the city, al-be'er ha'mayim, besides a well. Le'et erev, ve'le'et tzeit ha'sho'avot. He arrived there like towards evening, that means mincha time, and towards the time when the woman would come out from the city to the well to draw water again. Vayomer, and now... Vayomer, now we have Eliezer speaking to God. Hashem, Meloke, Adoni, Avraham, Hashem, the God of my master, Avraham, Hakrina, Lefanai, Hayom. Please be present before me today. Chesed im Adoni, Avraham, and do a kindness, act kindly towards my master, Avraham. 
Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the townsmen are coming out to draw water. And it should be. Behold, the girl to whom I say, please tip your jug that I may drink. And who answers, drink. Sorry, the Amra, Shte Gam Gemalecha Ashke, Ota Hohachta La Abdecha Le Yitzhak. And I say to, I'll say to her, can I, can you tip your jug so I can drink? And if she answers me, drink and I will also water your camels, that will be the one whom you have determined for Yitzhak, um, your servant. And with that, I will know that you have acted kindly towards our master. So there comes a very, very big question here. Because in truth, um, what, um, what, what um, Eliezer was doing is that he was doing a little bit of divination, which is something that is not allowed according to Torah law. Meaning, you cannot go out and try um, give signs or ask for signs in order to prove to you where it is or what it is that you have to do. And in fact, the rabbis went and said, if he was not the servant of Abraham, and if he did not come with the schut, with the merit of the saintliness of Abraham, he would have got himself into a lot of trouble. Why? Because he went and said to God, I want you to give me a sign. The girl to whom I will say, give me to drink, and she will say, I will drink and I'll drink and I will give also to your camels. That is leaving it way too broad. What happens if the girl that you said, give me to drink, and she does the following, was ugly, was, um, had a short leg, was blind. There's like a whole lot of things that would have fallen into that pot that would have been taking it, taken into consideration. Now, because he didn't do it, okay, and he didn't specify it more, the only reason he didn't get himself into trouble was because God did not want such a girl to marry Yitzchak. Okay? But if it was only on Eliezer's merits, it would have been a problem. So the first thing is, is that his mistake was, is that he tried to start looking for a sign. And when he said the sign, you will see much later that he actually realizes that... Um, you can't do those things because you can get yourself into big trouble. Now, I'll give you an example in the Midrash. There's a story in the Midrash of a man who was traveling by foot, and he was tired, and he felt like his feet were falling off. So he said, oh, if only I had a small donkey. Those were his words, meaning, I wish I had a small donkey, at least I could sit on it, and then my feet wouldn't be so tired, right? But the Midrash says he was exhausted, his feet were, were finished. He said, oh, I wish I had a small donkey. A few minutes later, says the Midrash, he came upon a Roman nobleman 
uh, whose donkey had fallen along the road. And when the Roman, Roman nobleman saw the weary traveler, he ordered him to pick up the donkey and carry it for him because it was too young to walk. And he didn't have a choice, the Jew, because it was under Roman times and whatever the Roman told you to do, you did. And it says, as he walked along, tears started streaming down his cheeks and he said, my prayer was answered early too soon. Meaning what? He had made a mistake. He said, I wish I had a small donkey. What he should have said is, if only I had a small donkey upon which to ride. So the very first thing that we learn from this entire conversation, not about tripping, but just as a normal uh, rule about our lives, be careful what you say. And we know today um, there's a lot of literature um, that um, shows how important and how powerful um, your speech is. You are where you see yourself. You are what you say. And so when you say things, you've got to be very, very careful, good and bad, more in the negative than in the good, that you are saying things specifically because otherwise you land up in a lot of trouble in saying the wrong thing and then getting the wrong thing or saying the negative thing and in fact that is how you are feeling. One of my favorites is stop saying I'm sick and tired because you will be sick and you will be tired. Hi FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back and we're following the trip of Eliezer and the first thing that we've learned from this entire discussion is that Eliezer was taking a chance asking God to give him a sign. And in asking God to give him a sign, he made an even bigger boo-boo in not being very specific about the sign. Just talking about verbalizing things and things coming into fruition, um, we see Yaakov later on in Genesis, Jacob, brother Jacob, when he is getting ready to prepare for his encounter with his brother Asaph, and he divides up the camp, and he prays there, he is very specific with God on what prayer he needs or what, what, what it is that he needs. What does he say? He says, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Asaph, for I am afraid lest he come and kill me, the mother and the children. Now, when he was praying and he, he was asking God to help him, he was like, God help me in meeting my brother. But he was very specific. He's saying, save me from my brother. Save me from the hand of Asaph because not only my brother, but the very fact that he represented Asaph, which was looking to kill him, meaning that the, 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 the tension between Yaakov and Asaph is that Asaph was, was looking still to seek revenge over the selling of the birthright, made him what? Afraid. And what was he afraid of? That he would kill. Who would he kill? Myself, the mother, and the children. So he was very, very specific in when he was asking God to help him that he actually laid down the, the, the specifics of what it is that he was frightened of. And so we see that one needs to ensure 
that in order for our prayers to be answered pro- appropriately, you need to say it in the right way. Eliezer was very, very loose in what he was saying, and he could have got himself into a lot of trouble. And how do we know that? Because right afterwards, we have the verse, Vayehi, and it was, he had just finished speaking, meaning he had just finished praying to God. Rivka went out. Rivka, who was born to Betuel, who was the son of Milka, Eshet Nahor, the wife of Nahor, Ahi Abraham, the brother of Abraham, Bechada al Shechma. There was a jug on her shoulder. Now, one of the nuances about Torah is that when you hear the word Vayehi, it means that something negative is going to happen. For example, in the in the um, Megillah of Esther, it starts Vayehi Bimei Achashverosh, and it was in the times of Achashverosh. And the rabbis come and say, why use Vayehi? Why not use the word Vahaya? In essence, the same thing. Because Vehaya means that something good will happen. Vayehi means something not good will happen. So Vayehi Bimeachashverosh, we know that when we start in the Megillah, that this isn't good. This is all about the Jews going to Achashverosh's um, party and partying with a king that is going to cause a gazera, a decree upon them, and a wicked Haman is going to come up and kill them. Not good news. Here, we're getting the same thing. Vayehi, who terem kila ladaber. He had just finished speaking, meaning that in fact, um, he realized as he had opened up his mouth and said, the girl that comes and gives me to drink and gives my camels to drink, that will be Yitzhak's wife. He realized there was a vayehi, there was a negative to it, that he had opened himself too much, to too many variables in it, and that he had made a mistake. So that is very, very important and something that we should understand. Having said that, then let's talk a little bit about traveling and let's talk about finding ourselves in various circumstances. Torah looks down upon the fact that we'll go and preempts where we're going with conditions. Number one, you shouldn't be going out and saying, well, if this and this happens, I'm going to do this, and if this and this happens, I'm going to do that. It shows a lack of trust in God. Also, um, in addition, you've got to be very careful if you're putting that, that, that condition down, as we have just, just, just discussed. But then we have another two scenarios of where we are traveling, and that is what happens if we find ourselves in a situation um, that was unexpected. Can we ask ourselves, why am I here? Why did I land up here as opposed to there? What happened to me and why have I been, um, example, diverted? Why is my plane being diverted and I find myself now somewhere else? And then there's also the further question after the deed was done, what is it that I could have learned from going through an experience or traveling through an experience where it turned out not the way that I anticipated it it should turn out. And this in and of itself is a huge discussion. And um, I would love you to join in if you've got any questions, any comments on 34519 or 061-895-1019. Is there such a concept in Judaism 
that you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, if we go back to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, and it's a very um, good time to speak about it because today is Chai Elul. It's the 18th day of the month of Elul, and we celebrate the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, who was Rebbe Sroll. He was called the Baal Shem Tov, the man of the good name, and he was the founder of the Hasidic movement. And he brought a tremendous light, a tremendous um Tremendous teaching into the world that actually gave a lot of depth to the Torah, to the masses, whereas before it belonged to the, the, the privileged few, he went and took the Zohar and the Kabbalistic and the, 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 the Hasidic meanings of, of, of the Torah and he brought it down to the simple person. And there's a tremendous amount to speak about the Baal Shem Tov. But since it's his birthday, let's learn the teaching of his that's very relevant to the Chumash we're learning right now. What did the Baal Shem Tov say? The Baal Shem Tov said that there is nothing in this world that does not move without the organization and management of God, without the divine providence with which God runs the world. Meaning there could be a little worm right now, somewhere on a field, somewhere, and he was feeling too hot, and God would cause a wind to blow and cause a leaf to tumble down and land up to cover the, the worm so that the worm is more protected. Says the Baal Shem Tov, that is Hashkocha Pratis, that is divine providence. And therefore, by extension, if God is controlling the little leaf that has to tumble through the field, he has to blow a wind in order for the leaf to reach the little worm, in order to give him shelter, how much more so um, can we then apply the concept of Hashkocha Pratis, of divine providence, to every step and every place and every circumstance that we find ourselves in? If God is seriously worried about a little worm and a little leaf, there's no question in our minds that God is worried about each and every single one of us, and he directs us to where we have to be at all times. Now, this puts a huge spin on, on things, is that for a Jew, you can never say, you, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You are always in the right place at the right time. Ah, could not good things happen? Yes, not good things can happen in that. But that means that Hashem brought you to there for a reason. And it's incumbent on you to do, obviously, the best for you to either extricate yourself or change something or learn something, but there can never be a mistake. And so if we start applying it to our lives and we start looking at where we are and where we, where we find ourselves at all times, it is as simple as I'm stuck at the robot or there was a traffic jam or I missed my plane or I landed up in or anything. Now, many times there are, we will not know why we were delayed or got stuck in the traffic jam or found ourselves in a place or a space that we didn't want ourselves to be. But the fundamental that we need to know is that we're in the right place in the right time. And that is even when it comes to, you take the Hashkocha process even further in saying, I'm in the um, right now, I find myself in this relationship or in this job or in this whatever have you. You are where you are supposed to be right now. 
Could it be, yes, that maybe you need to look at it and say, I'm in this place and I need to get out of it. Uh, this relationship isn't healthy for me. Or um, this job, I need to change because it's impinging on me or whatever have you. But the fact that you find yourself in it, it's because God wants you to be in it because there are lessons to be learned from it. Now, um, I just want to share maybe one or two stories with you just to illustrate this point um, and to drive home the fact that Hashkocha Pratis, divine providence, and, and, and being wherever you need to be um, is fundamental to your whole outlook. And it is really um, premised on the basis of trust in God, of having betochen in Emunah in God, that he is controlling the world, not you. Um, there's a famous story, and um, I can't remember exactly all the details, but the point of the story is a very powerful one. The story is told of a, a, a group of Rebetzins, Chabad Rebetzins, that I think were traveling between New York and another um, state, another city elsewhere in America, because they went on, they were they were attending a mid winter convention. And they had finished up the convention, I believe, on a Thursday late, and they were making their way back to New York um, with the intention of being home before Shabbos. And um, I'm not sure exactly, I don't remember all the details, but I don't know if there was a snowstorm or there was a technical problem or a, I don't know what problem, but they landed up in an airport and they got unduly delayed at that airport, and it seemed that none of them would manage to get home on time for Shabbos. Um, and they got a bit nervous, and they got worried, um, and they didn't know what to do. So one of the one of the Rabbitsons picked up the phone and dialed New York, dialed 770, which was Lubavitch headquarters, and spoke to a secretary of the Rebbe, and um, said to the secretary, please, can you go into the Rebbe? And tell them that we are stuck in this this place, and and that we should have a blessing that you know whatever it was the problem would be resolved, and that we could make our way home. Otherwise, we would we would not make it home for Shabbos, and all our families are waiting for us. And a few minutes later, the secretary called the Rebbeson back, and he replied that the Rebbe said, "What does it mean that you're stuck? A Jew is never stuck." Now, that's really, really powerful because what the Rebbe was really saying is that don't think that you landed up at such and such an airport and you delayed for six hours because you just stum stuck. If you find yourself in an airport for six hours in a strange place, it's because you're supposed to be there now. It's not a point about being stuck. It's a point about the fact that you, you're in the right place at the right time and there's something there that you need to do or that you need to find or that you need to simply learn that you, there's no such thing as being stuck. And I think that, that that idea has always stuck with me. And I know in many of my trials and tribulations and challenges in life, um, you know, there are times where you feel stuck and you go like, why am I here? I don't want to be here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This wasn't part of the plan. I wasn't, whatever it is. Realize that a Jew is never stuck. You are at the right place at the right time at all times. And it's in that space that you need to ask, 
what it is that I'm supposed to be doing right now. It could very well be that you just need to turn and say a couple of Kapitlech of Tehillim and, um, you know, have the patience to, to be done. It could be as simple as just having trust and, and imuna in Hashem. Um, that maybe he's saving you from something else. You know, the famous story of a guy who um, who planned a big holiday, and the morning of his holiday, on his way to the airport, he slips, breaks his leg, and he lands up in the hospital. Um, and they have to put it in a cast, operate on him, and this guy is furious. He's furious his entire holiday, everything he's planned. It was, it was supposed to be this best and great and... A marvelous experience, and right now he's sitting in a hospital with a plaster of Paris, and he's kissed uh, effectively his holiday goodbye. And he's sitting there feeling very sorry, very angry, very upset about the circumstances, and he's watching the news, and he sees suddenly that they're reporting a plane crash. And what plane crashed? The plane that he was supposed to get on in the morning. Now, can you imagine him flipping the entire idea that now... The broken leg wasn't something bad, wasn't something evil, wasn't something negative, wasn't something that's a disaster. But in fact, it was the greatest gift that God gave him because had he not broken his leg, he wouldn't be around to tell the story. So we have many, many circumstances like this. And just to, again, emphasize once more uh, this idea, I just want to share with you a story that I heard um, a couple of weeks ago. It's a story about a family of grandparents, children, marriage children, their spouses and grandchildren who all got on a plane. There were probably about 15 or 20 of them. They got on a plane from one American town. Again, I can't remember where they were flying from, but they were flying to New York. And they were going there for a family simcha. So the entire family was super excited, everybody animated, everybody really gung-ho about the exciting trip and the impending simcha that they were going to celebrate. They get on the plane, and the plane is a direct flight to New York, and halfway through, the pilot comes on, and he says, uh, passengers, I'm sorry to break this news, but we've picked up a small technicality, technical problem. No, we're not going to crash, but in the interest and the safety of the, of, 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 the, of the passengers and the plane, I am going to be making an emergency landing, and because I don't want to travel with it to the nearest um, city, um, I have ascertained that there is a landing field some three, four minutes away, and I'm going to be landing on a landing strip, really, and I, I can't remember what place. It was Yehupitzville. It was, like for us in South Africa, the middle of the Karoo, like in no man's land. Please fasten your seatbelts. Don't worry. We're not crash landing. We're landing safely, but I would like to have this technical um, uh, issue sorted out. And so before they knew it, Boom, they landed. Not boom, they landed nicely. They land on this landing strip and there's just like this uh, corrugated iron um, uh, building, okay, that made for the airport building. They all piled out and this family piles out, all of them, and they go into this very rudimentary airport building and they sit down waiting now to be told when they are going to take off again. Anyway, it was like now, the like late afternoon, um, and um, well, it was mid-afternoon. It went from five minutes delay to a half an hour delay to one hour late to two hours delay, and it was getting to late afternoon, and it was time for Mincha. The grandfather looks around, 
And he realizes that there are nine of them in the family group that can make up a minion. So they short one. So he calls all the, all the, um, the family members and he says, just go around this airport building, this little rudimentary airport building. There's a whole lot of people. Go find out if you can find another Jew, um, that can come up and make up this minion. And so they disperse and they go around and they really, honestly, they can't find anybody. We're in Yehupitzville, right? We're in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, population zero. Like there really wasn't anybody and nobody really looked Jewish. Um, and so they come back to the grandfather and they say to the grandfather, um, there's nobody around. We're going to go for a bit of an ad break. Hang on in there because it's an interesting, interesting story that's going to develop. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And we're in the middle of a nail-biting story. So, everybody comes back to the grandfather and says, we can't find anybody. The grandfather says, no, there's got to be somebody. Go again. Go look, go look outside the building. Go look around the building. There's like some technicians and guards and things. Go look. There has to be somebody. We need to to, to dive in with the minion. So, again, the, the, the men folk disperse and they go around looking. Now, one of the, the, the guys go around looking towards the entrance of this um, this airport building and there is a guard there. And the guard is looking at him suspiciously. Okay? And the guard is like following him, walking around, coming and going and, and it raises eyebrows because what are these strange people that are coming off a plane and now like kind of like scouting out this airport building? So the guard calls him and says, hey, come on over. Who are you? And he gives his name. What are you looking for? He says, I can see that your party is looking around for for something or somebody. So the guy goes, um, I'm sorry, you're right. We're looking for another Jew. Another Jew, says the guard. What are you looking for a Jew for? So he goes and he says, well, you can see that we're Orthodox Jews and it's time for our afternoon prayers. We need to pray in a quorum. We need to pray with a minion, with 10 people. We've got nine. We're looking for another Jew. Maybe, maybe you can help me. Do you know anybody Jewish that's around here? The God says, stay here. I'm going to come back. Gets off his seat and the God disappears elsewhere. 10 minutes later, the God comes back. And you can see that he's white in the face and he's got tears streaming down his eyes. Now it was the chance of the Jew to look at the God as, what's wrong with you? The God says to the Jew, I'm Jewish and I can help you with this prayer. You're kidding. The Jew couldn't actually believe it. He says, well, come on over. I'm so excited. Come meet my grandfather. Come meet my father. Come, come meet the rest of the clan. And so he walks over to, 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 to the, 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 the clan and the grandfather can see that this man is very distraught and, and, and he's a little bit out of sorts. And so the grandfather says, thank you. We appreciate that you can join us and that you're Jewish, but why do you look so upset? So the guy says, okay, I'll tell you why. He says, I've grown, I've grown up in this town and this town, as you can see, is called Yehobitzville, whatever that was called. And it is a town where there are no Jews. And my entire life, I grew up as a Christian. 
I didn't know anything else. I went into a Catholic school. I celebrated all the Christian holidays. And as far as I was concerned, concern, um, concerned, that's who I was. He says, a couple of months ago, my father passed away. And on his deathbed, he called me and he said to me, um, I need to tell you something. Um, I have brought you up as a Christian, but in fact, you are Jewish. And he says, that, that was like the biggest shock that I ever, ever had. What do you mean I was Jewish? So my late father told me, your mother and I are both Jewish. We lived in a big city. I don't know, they had some type of run-in with the Jewish community, and it was quite a hairy run-in. They got really upset, and so they moved to a smaller town. And they decided they wanted nothing to do with Jews anymore. They just wanted to throw off the shackles of being Jewish. And when they arrived in the small town, they realized there were still a few Jews, and they were so mad about the, the situation that they wanted nothing to do with it, they eventually landed up in this Yehupitzville. Why? Because guaranteed there wasn't a Jew to be found in a 100-kilometer radius. And he says, they raised us up as Christians, and nobody bothered them. On the deathbed, the father says, but I have to tell you the truth, you are Jewish. And with that, he passed away. He said, I was, the, now the God is talking, I was distraught. Like to live your life one way for X amount of years and then to be told that your, your identity is something else was quite shocking. And I never really reconciled it. But he said, three nights ago, it was a couple of months after my father passed away, my father came in a dream and he said to me that he cannot find rest in paradise, in Gan Eden, um, and he needs him, his son, the God, to find a minion and to say Kaddish, because if he says Kaddish, Kaddish will help him find rest. The son woke up. He thought this is ridiculous. Like there's just this, this identity crisis is just falling on his head and he just, this dream was nonsense. And so he left it. The next night, the father came back again and told him. And this time he got really angry at his father. This is your problem. Not mine. Why are you making it my problem? You raised me for 35, 40 years um, in such a way, and now you're, you're telling me to go and fix up your problems in heaven? You fix up your own problems. The night before this whole incident, the father came again and was pleading with him, please, 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 you have to go and say Kaddish. And uh, the son turned around and said to him, this is your problem. And if you want me to say Kaddish, then make a plan and send the minion to me. Because where am I going to find such a thing? I don't even know where to begin looking. So you want it to happen? Make it happen. And he says, I woke up this morning and I really, really was upset. I was like emotionally disturbed. I was just in all sorts. And he says, I come to work. And he says, work is work. You can see we're in your Hoppitzville. Nothing happens in your Hoppitzville. A small little you know, charter plane or a little one of these spraying planes will come and go. We don't have commercial airlines landing on our landing strip. And 12, 1 o'clock comes in, we hear there's an emergency landing of a, of, of a commercial plane. I'm intrigued, uh, you know, excitement. I can go home and tell my wife and children. Hey, we had, what, a, what a day at work we had. 
And he says, I was flabbergasted when off the plane walks all these Orthodox Jews. And I watched you. And I thought to myself, nah, this can't be. This is rubbish. Like, is there any connection to my father? No, this whole thing is nonsense. And I ignored it. And I saw you guys wandering around and then going back. And I thought, okay, it settled it. But when you guys went looking again, I figured, well, let me try to find out what it is that you want. And when you told me that you needed a man for a minion, I was gobsmacked. I was dumbfounded. I'd, I had to leave you to go and contain myself. And I went into the bathroom and I actually fell apart that this all wasn't nonsense. My father actually made a plan that a commercial plane should land so that I should have a minion. And he says, so that I came out, I'm, I'm, I'm traumatized. I'm emotionally like all sorts because I actually cannot believe what has happened. Well, the Zeta put a, his hand around him and he said, well, now that explains why we've landed here and why you're here. Let's say Kaddish for your father. And so they got together, they prayed the Mincha prayer and they said Kaddish and they, uh, they hugged the man and really shortly, maybe five, ten minutes after the, 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 the Mincha prayer was completed, there was the announcement that they were taking off and everything was resolved. And so the father, the grandfather turned around to the children and said, you see, a Jew is never stuck. There are times that you'll find yourself in times and places where you will think, what it is? What, what am I doing here? And you'll see that God has brought you here through Hashgacha Pratis, through divine providence, in order for you to do something. And this was an incredibly powerful, powerful lesson. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And so, if you were not cons- uh, if you were not convinced, then hmm, this is what we learn about Eliezer's trip. This is one of the things that Eliezer should have been far more cognizant about in asking Hashem where to lead him. He should have known in the first instance that God will lead him wherever he needs to because God controls the world. And when you're needing to meet your bashert, your bashert will be there and you will get what it is that you need. And therefore, don't ask for signs. And if you're asking for a sign, be careful how you are asking for a sign because um, you've got to be very, very specific um, in what it is that you are asking for. Uh, we're not going to continue furthermore, which I actually would have loved to, um, other than to understand that Rivka was in fact the girl that he was looking for, and we're given her lineage that she was born to, Betuel, the son of Milka, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, and so essentially what we are looking at, that Rivka was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. And so really um, down the line, two cousins are going to be marrying each other. I'm not sure if you call them second cousins, once removed, third cousins, not removed, but it was really in the same same family. And um, she, by the way, Hashgacha Pratis, she was, she came from a wealthy family already. Her her parents were, were, um, were, were wealthy and she needn't come down to go get water, but we are told because, again, Hashem controls the world and he runs the world that um, he made her go out unexpectedly down to the river 
to collect water instead of her servants. Why? Because there was fate. The fate was that Eliezer had to meet up with Rivka. So on that note, um, I'm wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Remember that if you've missed your favorite show on Chai FM, just go onto the website and look for the Icon podcast, and there you can choose your favorite show, and it can download or stream straight away. Other than that, have a marvelous, marvelous week ahead, and we will meet again this time next week.